from uh, about 50 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hey, Murder Fam, and welcome back to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and this is Serial Saturday, where... Every Saturday, we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Lyda Southard. Lyda Trueblood was born on October 16, 1892 in Keatsville, Missouri. So let's get into some history for that time. In the United States, Ellis Island opens as a U.S. immigration inspection station and would go on to be the gateway to the U.S. for more than 12 million people. New York debuted the first ever automatic ballot booth or voting machine. The General Electric Company formed by merging Thomas Edison's General Electric with Thomas Houston Electric Company, which was arranged by J.P. Morgan. Thomas Edison also received a patent for a two-way telegraph. The first basketball game is played in public between students and faculty at the Springfield YMCA with 200 people watching. And the students won, by the way. Also, the Liverpool Football Club was founded in England, and the fingerprinting bureau is formally opened by the Buenos Aires Chief of Police. Abercrombie & Fitch is established in Manhattan as an outfitter for the elite outdoorsmen. There was an oil fire in Oil City, Pennsylvania that killed 130 people. The Limelight Department, later one of the world's first film studios, was officially established in Melbourne, Australia. The United International Bureau for the Protection of Intellectual Property was established in Bern, Switzerland. And then the father and stepmother of the Lizzie Borden were found murdered in their home in Fall River, Massachusetts. The Pledge of Allegiance is first recited in the United States and women are finally allowed to be admitted to Yale University Graduate School. The first ever issue of Vogue magazine was published. A cholera outbreak occurred in Hamburg, Germany. So, for this year it kind of seemed all over the place, but this was the atmosphere that Lida was born into. Her parents were William Trueblood and Laura Drinkard. 
William was born in 1864 in Iowa and later died in 1928 in Boise, Idaho when he was 64 years old. He himself had seven half-siblings, though I don't know the story behind that. Laura was born in 1869 in Missouri and died in 1940 in Idaho as well when she was 71 years old. Lida's parents got married in December 1886 in Cheriton, Missouri, which is a very remote area east of Kansas City. Now together combined, they had 11 children, but I believe some of them didn't live. Lida was the third, but also the oldest daughter. The family were described as very active church members, never missing a Sunday. Lida was just a teenager when her parents sold the family farm and moved the whole family to Twin Falls, Idaho, and they settled onto an 80-acre farm there. They also rented an additional 80 acres of land from a neighbor of theirs. Now, the family grew clover, beans, and early peas, and they weren't really considered particularly poor. By the time William died, her father, he owned about a mile section of farmland. Now, Lida was considered the most beautiful and popular girl her age for that area. It is also said that she was the unspoken favorite child of her parents. This also translated over into her high school days as it was said she was the most popular girl in her high school. It was stated that, quote, she had an indefinable something, a spark giving off a light that draws men by physiological and chemical attraction, unquote. Another acquaintance said, quote, men hung around her like flies about a honeypot, unquote. I like that saying. The family was described as a church-going family, devout, and clean living. Now, it would appear that before Lida and her family moved from Missouri to Idaho, she had a suitor of sorts who was from a neighboring farm. He was from the Dooley family, and he fell completely in love with her. It would appear that she shared his feelings, so when her family moved up to Idaho, he soon followed. And guys, that's pretty much all I could find about her childhood. There's really not much, but I think we have a decent picture. She was favored by her parents. She was described as a beauty and quite popular in school. I found no instances where she caused any trouble or displayed any negative behavior at all. Being a girl born and raised on a farm, I'd gather that she was accustomed to hard work. You see, because women back during this time, it was perfectly acceptable for a girl of the age of 15 to get married and settle down. Once they married, they stayed home to cook and clean and tend the children while their husband worked. If you met your 
say mid to later 20s, you would be dangerously close to being considered a spinster, which was sort of a negative term, meaning there was some reason you were not good enough to catch a husband and were getting a little old to find a decent man. If a woman didn't work, she was almost always a domestic servant, you know, like a housekeeper, a nanny, a cook, and so on. Then, if she wasn't those, the next category was a teacher and then possibly a nurse, but really much of anything beyond that was a very rare thing indeed. Regardless, there just doesn't seem to be any evidence suggesting she was anything but a well-rounded, happy, and popular child and young lady. So let's move on. At 20 years old, Lida married Robert Dooley in March of 1912. The couple then settled in at a ranch they purchased and Robert's brother, Ed, resided with them as well. Life seemed good. There were no reports of anything negative in their lives at this time and in fact, one source stated that Robert was the love of Lida's life. The couple had a daughter in 1914 and they named her Lorraine. They then set in motion actions to secure their future, you know, particularly with life insurance. If something were to happen to either Dooley brother, the surviving brother would get $1,000 and Lida would get that amount as well. That would be nearly $26,000 today, just in case you were curious. The next year would see their first tragedy. Ed Dooley, Robert's brother, died in August 1915 and the cause of death differs between sources. One source says the doctor determined that he died from typhoid. There had been another insurance policy paid for while Ed had been ill, so the sum of $1,000 had actually been doubled to $2,000 or almost $50,000 today. After Ed died, a month later, unfortunately his brother and Lida's husband, Robert, also fell ill and died, also apparently from typhoid fever. Lida collected all of the insurance money very soon after their deaths. And so she was a single mother now, but of some means. She and her young daughter were fairly well off. She quickly met another man by the name of William G. McCaffle. They married. It wasn't long before three-year-old Lorraine fell ill. Lida told people that her toddler had drunk some dirty well water and that was why she was sick. The toddler finally and unfortunately passed away in 1917. So, Lida and William decided to leave Twin Falls, Idaho, pack up, and move to Montana. For a year or so, life was getting back on track. It was 1918, though this was also the year of the Spanish flu pandemic. So let's talk about that for just a second. It is estimated that a whopping 500 million people worldwide or about a third of the Earth's population at that time were infected. 
Between 20 to 50 million people died, which included 675,000 people in the United States. It spread quickly during a time where there were no effective drugs or vaccines for treatment. People were, or at least men, were coming home after World War I. People, the general public, were ordered to wear masks. Schools, theaters, and businesses were closed, and bodies began to pile up in pop-up morgues. It was during this time that poor William became very sick. He began displaying flu-like symptoms, and in October 1918, William died from what was thought to be the flu and diphtheria. So we all know what the flu is, of course, and diphtheria is just a very serious bacterial infection that leads to difficulty breathing, heart failure, paralysis, and even death. Lida, of course, got everything William left behind. And since he died during a spike during the Spanish flu, no one even batted an eye. Soon after, the now 26-year-old Lida met Harlan C. Lewis, who was a car salesman in Billings, Montana. They married in March 1919, and within four months of being newlyweds, Harlan began to not feel so good. He was suffering from symptoms that the doctor thought were caused from gastroenteritis, also known as infectious diarrhea. It is an inflammation of the stomach and small intestine. He died soon after, leaving her everything. A year later, after returning to Idaho, Lida met and married Edward F. Mayer, who worked as a ranch foreman. They married in August of 1920. He was dead a month later from supposed typhoid. Now, with four dead husbands before she was even 30 years old, people began to get a little suspicious. A relative of Robert Dooley's, her first husband, by the name of Earl Dooley, happened to get a little curious and he was a chemist. He too had heard about the poor, unfortunate widow, but he started digging around for information. Apparently he collected soil from various areas of the farm that they lived on and especially where her husband's body had fallen when he actually died and he sent these samples to be tested for arsenic and it came up positive. He enlisted the help of a doctor and they were able to get Edward's body exhumed and sure enough, there were large amounts of arsenic in his system. So what are the symptoms of arsenic poisoning? The immediate symptoms of toxic levels of arsenic include vomiting, abdominal pain, diarrhea, dark urine or what they call black water urine, dehydration, heart problems, destruction of red blood cells, dizziness, delirium, shock, and death. So it sounds most unpleasant. And this, of course, was enough to get an arrest warrant for Lida, but they were too slow. 
she had already packed up and traveled to Hawaii. At this time, the authorities also exhumed her other deceased husbands, as well as her brother-in-law and her own small toddler daughter, and tested all of them for arsenic. The results were exactly what they had expected, save her baby girl. Those results were inconclusive, but they stated that the state of the remains, you know, how they looked, indicated arsenic. Investigators also traced any financial gain back and found that all four of her husbands had held life insurance policies where she was listed as the beneficiary. She was able to collect $7,000 or about $85,000 today from the deaths of her husbands. And that didn't include any profits that she had made from selling her husband's properties and lands. So when they showed up to Lida's house to arrest her, that's when they discovered that she had already fled. They of course did a search of her house and found down in the basement that she was soaking sticky and poisonous flypaper in barrels, extracting the arsenic from the flypaper. It was at this point that she got the name, quote, flypaper Lida, unquote. They began to inquire as to where Lida was, and eventually they were able to catch up to her in Honolulu, Hawaii. By the time they found her, she had already married another man. Husband number five was a Navy officer named Paul Southard. They extradited her from Hawaii back to Idaho. Sounds familiar. And Paul immediately, of course, filed for divorce. So long story short, her trial lasted six weeks. She was only convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years to life in prison. But that's not the end of the story. You see, at the almost 10-year mark of her imprisonment, she devised a plan to escape. First, she somehow conned a prison guard into falling in love with her. He supplied her with the saw that she used to cut through the bars of her cell as well as a ladder that she would need to get over the prison wall. And according to sources, interestingly, that prison guard died just a few days before she made her great escape. Now waiting outside for her was her new boyfriend, David Minton, who was an ex-con and had only been out of prison himself for just a few weeks. He, too, had fallen completely in love with her after many back-and-forth letters, as well as him visiting her a couple of times when he'd been released. Now, once she was free, though, she left David, and she went on to Denver, Colorado. David was not happy that she had dumped him, though, thankfully, she had let him live, and he promptly told the police where she was. But get this she managed to marry another man in between the time she dumped David and before the police actually caught up to her. His name was Harry Whitlock. Now, she had been hired by him to be his housekeeper at first, 
but he too fell for whatever she had that made men fall for her. Then, not too terribly long after, he somehow found out about her past as well as her dead husband's and the fact that she had escaped prison and, because he was a good man, he immediately told the authorities. She was immediately taken back to prison and Harry, in complete shock of course, stated that she had actually been a model wife. Thankfully, he had been blessedly free of any symptoms of an impending illness, though he was shaken due to the fact that Lyda had indeed asked him to take out a life insurance policy on himself. And that still isn't the end of the story. Once she was put back in prison, she really didn't have any consequences for her escaping. Harry Whitlock was granted an annulment from Lyda as if their marriage never happened. A few years after that, somehow the prison warden was won over by her charms and she was allowed to leave the grounds of the prison for leisure time, which she used to go watch movies, to go to spas, but she did also visit her sick mother. In 1941, Lyda was finally paroled, and two years later, she was pardoned by a judge. Yes, guys, full pardon. She was a completely free woman by the age of 51. And then she married her seventh husband, a rich man by the name of Hal Shaw, who then went missing and was never seen or heard from again true story. Finally, in February 1958, Lida died from a heart attack at the age of 65. She died while carrying in groceries into the home of her final employer, who also happened to be a bachelor in Salt Lake City, Utah. Throughout her entire life, she maintained that she was innocent, just a victim of circumstance. But when her body was examined, it was said to have had no actual hair on it. It would be, of course, a side effect of prolonged exposure to arsenic. And of course, I don't know if that is gospel, quote unquote, but sources stated it, so there you go. Her remains were sent to Twin Falls, Idaho, and she was buried in the middle of the night across the road from her parents her own daughter, and two of her husbands. So that's finally the story. Lida is not alone in her method for murder. It is a very rare thing for a female to actually become a serial killer, only one for every six serial killers, and they generally don't like to get their hands dirty either. Of course, Eileen Warnos is probably one of the most famous female serial killers, and she used a gun as her weapon of choice. Amelia Dyer allowed the babies left in her care to die from starvation and neglect. Outside of that, most all of the other female serial killers, not all but most, used nonviolent methods and almost always poison. And then again, most female serial killers murder for a specific gain, not because they are meeting some primal need to hunt, 
to satisfy a compulsion or dominate their victim. It is usually for money, as in the case with Lida, insurance policies. The cold and callous nature of a woman who would poison her own child as if it was no more significant than an inconvenient rat in the cellar is hard to stomach, and yet Lida didn't even bat an eye. So fam, let me know what you think. Leave me a comment on Instagram at serial underscore killing or on the YouTube channel under the same name as this podcast. Consider sponsoring the podcast. I'm trying to get to a point where I can devote a lot more time to bringing you these stories more than just twice a week. But most importantly, thank you so, so much for listening. I know that you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I'm so grateful. You guys really have no idea how much I love you. Have a great day.